I got the power. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Can I can I just do this interview? Yeah, sure. Sure. Do you want to set it up real quick? Hey, guys. We are on the bench. Uh, this is my little my little opportunity to do my interview uh, one on one. And I got my friend Charles Power. Uh, many of you know Charles Power. He works for Twenty Four Seven Sports. Uh, he's a national recruiting analyst and does a lot with the rankings. This is the off season. We talk about the rankings every single day on the message board. Um, a few years ago, we were talking about how great FSU was doing in the rankings, and now we talk about how rankings actually don't matter. Uh, but we all know rankings do matter, and that's why I'm having Charles Power on the podcast. Um, so let's get to it. You ready, Brendan? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. And we're back on the On the Bench podcast today for my one-on-one interview. I'm sitting down with a uh, fellow co-worker, Charles Power. Uh, Charles is a – well, Charles, what the hell are you? I, I, I don't know. I'm, no, let's break it down. You're somewhat like of a national recruiting analyst for sure, right? Yeah. But then you're also somewhat of uh, an intern to Barton Simmons. Are you closer to being a national guy or closer to being an intern? I'm somewhere. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm the guy who watches uh, all of the, the the crappy football, so you don't have to. <laughs> right. Yeah. You do have a big hand in the rankings. Um, so before we get going, like I, I want to figure out um, kind of where you come from, where and how you got in this position. I've known you now for about nine years. Um, you started right out of college with the BOL site back in what 20, 2011? Yeah, it was like 2011, 2012. I think in that in that cycle somewhere, I think it was maybe the end of the 2011 cycle. And then I kind of I think my first full recruiting cycle was was 2012. And you covered so. Alabama from 2011, 2012 until 2016. Uh, I think 15. my last I, I was up until I think December of maybe the 2015 cycle. I want to say it was the year um, it was like uh, Darren Payne. Damian Harris, uh, maybe like was maybe Mika Fitzpatrick might have been that class. I, that might, I might be confusing him with another one, but I, I, I know Damian Harris, I think, was one of the last was one of the last guys to commit. Um, right. So, yeah, it, w- it would have been the guys that graduated um, the fourth four year players that graduated uh, this last this last year. Then you went in, started a JUCO recruiting service. So you worked on the other side of the uh, industry selling right. a service to the colleges. Um, and then of course the grass isn't ever, ever greener on the other side. And you came back to 24 seven, you're in a different capacity now. Um, kind of a part-time gig for you. It's great, man. I wish I could get a part-time gig, but they got me working seven days a week. So now you work closely with who, who are the main people that put the rankings together for 24 seven sports? Uh, it's, it is Barton Simmons, myself, Steve Wiltfong, uh, Greg Biggins and Brandon Huffman as our West Coast guys, we're, we're the main ones that kind of like hash out and we'll make the decisions. And then, you know, we, of course, we kind of have like a, I guess, kind of like a hierarchy deal where we get feedback from the regional analysts. So we have like a lot of like really good regional guys and, you know, like like Gabe Brooks in Texas, Alan True in the Midwest, Brian Doan in the Northeast, um, Blair Angulo out there in the kind of the West, like mountain area. Um, so we kind of get feedback from all of those guys and also feedback from the site publishers too. We kind of have it just broken down and, uh, it kind of, I guess, kind of trickles up to us. And then we kind of, our job is to kind of sort it out and kind of make the decisions and I guess kind of try to put the puzzle together. Right. So. And then, uh, so who has final say Barton Simmons ultimately has final say. Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, it's, it's pretty collaborative. Like, like yeah. Martin's pretty good about that. Martin's um, a great, great person to work with. I mean, he's not yeah. a guy that's gonna, uh, you know, he's fully transparent. He shares his thoughts. He shares, you know, what he doesn't know as well. And, um, Barton's great to work with, but yeah. So yeah. you guys kind of do it as a group more so. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say if, if anybody feels like super strongly about it, we'll, we'll kind of defer. Um, if anybody's, you know, standing on the table, we don't have, a, a ton of disagreements. Well, we, we'll have a couple, but um, who do you disagree with most? Oh man, I don't. I'll be honest. I haven't. We haven't had any major on, ones. We, we've we've kind of had discussions. Like I don't know. Like you know, there have been some situations where like I I, I kind of 
can veer a little more on like the analytical side with, with like athletic testing and stuff. And they'll have to at various times, like rein me back in. Um, you know, there've been times where like where my podcast partner, Greg Biggins and I have, have gotten, you know, kind of gone back and forth on kind of things. We look at it with positions. I think we had like, you know, we, we, we've, it's always cordial, but we, like we, I think we had a, uh, kind of a disagreement on like, you know, the value of route running with, with prospects, like in like, mm-hmm. re- like receivers at one point. But, um, I think we all kind of like philosophically, we're all kind of in line now. Like, I think we're all kind of going and, you know, kind of rowing in the same direction. So, yeah, you guys, you guys, I think do a great job. I used to always be into rankings and I'm talking about like when I got into the industry in 2005, up until really about the time of uh, joining 24-7, even back then in 2010, 2011, I was real into rankings. And then I think, you know, working on a fan site, and I'm not going to call out FSU fans, I just, I think it's the same across the board. It's just, when you work on a fan site, the rankings are never good enough. You know, like, they're never good enough. Because whoever's at the bottom of the commit list, the guys at 24-7 obviously misranked. Um, When guys move up the commit list, uh, the fans never really give 24 seven credit for, for making that evaluation. So I kind of just threw the rankings out the window. Uh, I think me and Chris knee, Chris used to be heavily involved in rankings as well. I think we both just bailed on it. And, yeah. and now we just like to blame you guys. It's, it makes our whole job a lot easier. <laughs> like, no, you got an issue with it. Tweet at Barton, get in his mentions, <laughs> leave me alone. I'm just, you know, and then the other thing that I think, um, took me and a lot of people out of the rankings discussion was the composite. For so many years, us at 24-7 were proud of our rankings. We we would look at rivals and look at scout and think about where we hit and where they missed. And like right. the composite just ended that. Yeah. Well, I, I would say one thing that that kind of I think maybe has kind of uh made the rank made it more important that 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 we're more accurate, speaking in terms of twenty four seven sports, is you know, twenty-four seven and scout, you know, merging uh there's there's less you know factored in so it's really i would say it's probably more pressing that that we're you know that we can't we're like on top of our game with stuff like that because we're just you know a, like a bigger you know a bigger fraction of, of of the composite we almost kind of are the composite we now. are kind of half of it now yeah because because sure. when you because when you go back and look at all those typically it was 24 7 and scout had the had the most accurate ranking so now that we're you know kind of one entity um I guess it's kind of important not to falter, you know, so, so I yeah. agree with that. And one of the places, um, that fans look for first in rankings and when they always look back is at quarterback. Uh, right. so when you're evaluating a QB, like what are a few of the things that you look for first? I'm probably like a little, I guess like a little different with, with, with quarterbacks. Um, you know, kind of like when, when I had a, I guess the couple years before I, I got back into this, I, I kind of just you know, took some time and, and tried to like step back and get a, you know, a big picture um, kind of understanding of, you know, like looking at the, the quarterbacks that are getting drafted now as first rounders, kind of looking for common, common threads, um, you know, just like commonalities with, with how they were as, as high school players, high school prospects, and, and then looking at the guys that were the top prospects that busted and kind of trying to find, you know, kind of, you know, areas where they were short in, in hindsight and seeing if that was kind of a way that we could use that as, as kind of a model for, for predicting, you know, guys moving forward. And it's never going to be exact, but, but kind of one of the things I found was, you know, high school production, really like senior year production was huge. Like if you go back and look, at a lot, most of the first round quarterbacks and, uh, not all of them were, would necessarily be your highest rated guys. I, like not too many of them were five stars. Like you have a couple like, like a Josh Rosen or a Jameis Winston, um, guys like that, but they almost all of them, like on average are very, very productive, uh, high school players, especially as seniors. And it, it kind of makes sense when you look at it, like that's like their biggest sample size, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of times the most ideal situation they're going to be in, in their football career. So if you think about it, like if you can't really like produce at a really high level, your senior year, like, what are you going to do in college? So, right. 
that was something like if you go back and look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, like unreal numbers and in, in, as a senior in high school, and he was a three-star. Johnny Manziel, I think, was a composite three-star, had like 75 touchdowns and, and five picks his, his senior year. So so you kind of look at stuff like that. But, you know, I, I think just in general, um, kind of like when I'm looking at a quarterback, I think the first thing is – you know, athletic profile, physical skill set. Um, nowadays, it, it's not you aren't really going for, you know, your six four two thirty pocket pass or like. So it, it's a little, um, it's a little, you know, I guess like a wider uh, a variance with with kind of what you look for frame wise. I, I think that's kind of not as important now, but you know, just how athletic are they? I think that's a huge thing. Like most of these guys that get drafted high, like I look at how they move. Um, you know, like I look at like like rushing total. Um, you know, very, I think the lowest rushing output we've had from a first round quarterback, uh, we didn't have the numbers on Dwayne Haskins. Um, he was probably in the low end, but like, uh, like Josh Rosen was, was on the low end, like 378 rushing yards as a senior. So I look at that because it, it shows, can you move and, and are you getting sacked? So, um, uh, and, and then, you know, I think production is, is, is really big. You're, you know, you're, like position specific skill set with like your throwing motion. Um, I look at like how creative are you? Um, can you, can you make plays outside of like the structure of an offense? Um, you know, some improvisational skills, cause that's just kind of the way it's going now. Um, you know, everybody can kind of go through their, their basic, uh, progressions, but it's, you know, can you make something out of nothing? Uh, so those are the kind of things that, that, that I, that I kind of value. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I place a huge, a huge, uh, uh, amount of weight on on how they play is like uh, like within the context of their high school probably right. more so than most people uh this offseason florida state has a qb commit in jeff sims and he's looked excellent this offseason we've already we've already seen his ranking jump from a three to a four star um and fsu fans want more um i i think he's a very good quarterback uh but you get so much opportunity to see these guys on display in the offseason. Last year, mm-hmm. same deal with Sam Howell. Uh, FSU fans were screaming, you know, how is it the Elite 11? He looks great at every event. How come his ranking isn't rising? How much can you take from watching a QB in seven on seven or at a combine? Even though you get ample opportunity because it's like every weekend you can almost go find them. But how much weight does that put in for you when evaluating? Uh, I, I, I think – I think it is valuable, but uh, it's important to, to to view it in context. I think, you know, it's there. There definitely are things you you can see in person that that you can't see on film. You know, like maybe how a guy how a guy moves uh, in, in terms of a drop. Like I, I know I like got a lot of these camps, like the Elite Eleven camps, uh, the opening. You can kind of see like they'll put these guys through drops and you can see how their feet are like they don't because you don't really have like a lot of high schools that do that. So that that's a um, you know, that can be informative. I would say, you know, throwing motion that doesn't always necessarily show up on on film. You can maybe if a guy might have a hitch or, or you know, um, kind of a funky, a funky throw in motion or it might look better in person, um, you know, how the ball comes out of their hand. Uh, I, I think we can get a little too into like the beauty pageant of, of, of throwing because it, it kind of, you know, it can kind of, uh, I guess, I guess skew towards guys who have maybe had like a lot of like mechanical work and, and private quarterback training, training. Like one example I kind of think of is I saw Deshaun Watson a lot, uh, in, in camps and I never, he never, like it really impressed me with the way the ball came out of his hand. He like always didn't throw a tight spiral, but then, you know, he fits the mold of a guy who was just like a really, really good high school player. And he kind of, you know, I don't think he had a private quarterback coach and, and, and he kind of, you know, got things back and obviously doesn't really have any mechanical issues. So yeah, I think it's just important to like really put that in context. And we, with seven on seven, I, I think you're just looking at, um, you know, how, how can they make quick decisions? And, and I, I don't, I, I think, you know, ideally you would want a top quarterback prospect in seven on seven to take deep shots and, and just in it kind of, be aggressive and, and confident and not sit there and, and just hit crossing routes and dump passes all day. Like that, that shows me absolutely nothing. And, and there's, there's no pass rush either. So I, I think it's all just in, it, viewing it in context. I think it can help, but that is, it is not nearly the most important thing. I think when evaluating quarterback.
So what's your evaluation of Jeff Sims? You've seen him a couple times this spring. You've got to know him um, a little bit this offseason. Uh, you watched his film from last year. What do you think of him right now as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked Sims. Uh, I would say, you know, he's probably a little further further along physically, um, you know, than as an actual football player and just in terms of what he's put put on the field. I like, I, I believe he was kind of like a little banged up last year um, at Sandalwood, so we really haven't got to see kind of what he can do uh, fully athletically. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, like the way he throws the ball, I, I think he's got – a good bit of upside. I think he's a good fit in, in Florida state's offense. Um, I would say, you know, I, in, in terms of like looking for like a rankings jump, I would say it's largely probably dependent on, on how he plays as a senior. Um, you know, just how productive he is that you would kind of want to see increases in production. Um, you know, kind of, I guess in line with his, uh, actual like physical ability. But, um, outside of production though, like outside of saying I, I need to see production, um, what separates Sims from other five-star quarterbacks? I mean, FSU fans want to know why is Sims not a five-star quarterback. What's holding him back right now? I would say, you know, I, I would say showing showing the he's obviously you know he's an athletic quarterback, but I, transferring that over to the field, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- would be important. Uh, you know, sh- showing mo- like mobility. Uh, I think he has a good arm. You know, like just be, you know, showing that you can be accurate over a larger sample size. I, I think the main thing is, is he, he's shown that he has skills, but he needs to do it over, over a larger sample in a live and, and put setting. it, put it all together. Yeah. With a pass rush and put it all together. So, right. so uh, that, that would be what I would look for. So what of your QB evals, even dating back to like before you were even doing this, because I know you're crazy. Like I love, uh, the, one of the reasons why I want to have you on is because, like you were, you were insanely passionate about this even before working for Bama Online. You used to go back and watch YouTube videos before YouTube was even popping. Yeah. Um, and 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 you even discovered Everett Golson, right? Yeah, I made his uh, I made his highlights in high school. And this was before Huddle. This was before kids actually knew how to make a, a highlight. So tell me about how did you discover Everett Golson? Well, so he. Everett went to my high school and my brothers played with him. He started, um, he started as a freshman. He beat out as a freshman in high school. He beat, I, I mean, I've been hearing about this kid for years. So right. I was in, I was in college at for the time. Years. <laughs> he yeah. was a freshman and you've been hearing about him for years. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was hearing about him in rec league. Uh, so, uh, I was in college and, uh, my, I had two brothers that played, uh, my, my middle brother was a senior tight end and they had a returning quarterback who actually played at Princeton and Everett beat him out and, and started as a freshman. He started for four years. And I think if you go back and look at his high school career, it was, you could make a, a pretty strong argument. He's, you know, had m- maybe the best high school quarterback in the state of South Carolina history. I think he but had, he didn't have he, much going on in recruiting until you made the highlight. No, I mean, I, yeah, I made a highlight when he was a freshman, so I, I guess, I guess, I kind of got it popping a little bit on on that end too. And but. you weren't working for anybody at the time, right? Like no, I was in, I, doing. I, I was in college. I, I just, I was just doing it for fun. Right. Um, yeah, but uh, I guess we, you know, that this was back when you you ha- would have to go watch the videos on on Scout Arrivals, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just put some music on it and throw it on YouTube, and I think, I think one of them ended up getting like several hundred thousand views and then i guess he committed to unc early and then uh and then ended up like flipping to notre dame now by Um, the time but by the time he flipped to notre dame you were in the recruiting world right like you were working yeah that was actually like the first month i worked at bol was did you break the news uh i think i gave it to jc sherbert (laughs) yeah because we were because we were we were at rivals then so yeah I think I texted JC. I was like, yeah, he's flipping to Notre Dame. So yeah, BOL didn't come over to, to 24 seven for about eight or 10 months after 24 right. seven launch. So you were still at rivals, but, um, yeah. So besides him, like what, what QB eval were you like? Yeah. Hell yeah. Like I, I was on that guy early and then also give me one that like a guy that you love that you were just shocked didn't pan out. I would say the, maybe the one, the one I think that I, I might've been, 
the, I guess I, I would be maybe most proud of, um, a couple I was on early. I, I was, I thought I was on Jared Stidham pretty early. Um, he didn't play, he didn't start for his high school team until he was a junior. And I just had kind of like a pretty strong hunch. He was good. Um, and, and he didn't have any film. So I found like some weird, like news clip or some like you, somebody from that town had put up a YouTube video that didn't have, it had like 50 views on it. And it was like a highlight from the team. And, uh, I, yeah, and it, it was like, it was, it was amazing. So I would say Stidham. And then, um, when I was kind of giving input on the rankings back, back then, uh, we were, we were much higher on Mitch Trubisky than anybody else. He was committed to UNC. He was not an elite 11 finalist, didn't go to the, you know, the opening or anything like that. Um, and, and he had a really, really good senior year and, and we made him, I think he was maybe like a fringe four star, like maybe like a 90. And, uh, we, we ended up putting him in the top, top 100. And I think we had him as a number one dual threat. And then he ended up being the number two pick in the draft. And he only here, I guess he only started one year at UNC. Yeah, that's but, uh, weird. yeah, but, uh, um, that would, that would probably be the one that I was, that we were like much different on than everybody else that I would probably be proud of. I, I guess ones that I didn't think that, that kind of caught me off guard. Um, I mean, now if, if he was coming out now, I would have seen the red flags, but like Max Brown, um, was just like a really, really good high school player. But, but when you go back and look at it, he was immobile. Like, I think he ran for like 15 yards his senior year. Um, but he was one that I would, I would have been very surprised that, that didn't, you know, never really did anything at, at USC or Pitt where he, I think he was a grad transfer at Pitt. Um, one that I think kind of defies a lot of the, you know, the, the analytics and, and, and trends that you would look at, like, I, it's kind of surprising Brandon Wimbush wasn't better, um, mm-hmm. just based off of, you know, how he was in, in high school, just, you know, like really accurate, mobile, uh, huge arm. Um, yeah. So, and, and I, I actually kind of followed him a little bit in high school. Cause I was, that was when I was covering Alabama, Minka Fitzpatrick was on his team sure. and Minka was a receiver. So I, I saw a lot of Wimbush and, you know, I guess with, with guys now, two guys that I had a lot of conviction on, and, and I guess we'll see how they shake out. But if for some reason Justin Fields wasn't able to, to pan out or maybe Spencer, like a Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State, those are two that I'll be really high on that I'm kind of interested to see how they how they do this year. <laughs> so. um, I love that you you find things you're interested in, and I do this too. You find things that you're interested in and then you like dive down that rabbit hole and you just, you, you learn everything that you can about it and you just become like obsessed with it for periods of time. I do that too. And it doesn't make sense how it comes about. It just happens. Uh, one of the things that you, um, have fallen for is the Baylor offense. Yeah. What they were doing at Baylor when Bryles introduced his offense. Um, Tell me how that came about. What intrigued you and, and how long have you been following this? Uh, well, I guess like my first exposure to it was when I was a student at South Carolina, they played Houston in the Liberty Bowl. I might not have even been a student yet. I might have been in high school. I can't remember. They played them. I think it was like 2006 Liberty Bowl. Um, and Kevin Cobb was their quarterback. And it was just like a shootout. It was a really fun game. And that was kind of the, my first exposure to Art Bryles. Um, so it was kind of tracking it then. And then, you know, I guess he, he went from Houston to Baylor and he brought uh, RG3 was committed to Houston as like a four star, which I guess you really didn't see too many four stars signing with Houston back then at quarterbacks. Um, and he basically brought RG3 with him to Baylor. Uh, so that was they were kind of on my radar then. And I remember like seeing on on the news and in like the internet and stuff where RG three was actually an early enrollee at Baylor and he won the Big Twelve hurdles um, as an early enrollee as like a seventeen year old. So I was like, okay, like this guy's a freak. Like he needs to be on my radar, you know. And uh, so kind of following him then. And Baylor kind of you know they they struggled like they were a terrible program when when they got there um, yeah. and. So, you know, I, I think they kind of they kind of ramped it up with with RG3. I mean, he won the Heisman. So they were they were pretty much, you know, on the national scene then. But I would say I really got like firmly into looking at it um, when uh, my brother played at TCU uh, in 2013 and 2014. 
and they were like Baylor's are huge. Like they're huge rivals, like very hated rivalry. And it was really interesting to kind of follow that chess match with, with, with our Bryles and Gary Patterson, who I think it was, kind of underrated back then like in 2014 both those teams were were basically trying to get in the playoffs and they had that 61 to 58 game and it was like you know arguably the best offensive coach in the country against definitely one of the best defensive coaches in the country so um yeah and then it was just it's like so seeing it up 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 close in person um why was it why why did it intrigue you originally like what was different what Art Bryles was doing compared to the rest of the offenses at the time. It was just like nobody. So this, in in this like kind of 2013, 2014 era, like the, that, that was really when we saw like a huge uptick in these, these fast uptempo offenses. Well, nobody was more committed to the bit than Art Bryles. Like mm-hmm. they would, they would, you know, like I think the, the the joke in in you know gambling circles was like there's nothing there's no better bet than Baylor first half. Like they would just slaughter teams in the first half and just never take their foot off the gas. So uh, and it was just w- when you kind of get to the construction of the offense, it was nobody was running offense like this. Like I, people kind of would conflate it with the air raid because Art Bryles coached at Texas Tech for a couple years, but it was it's much more downfield aggressive. Um, than you would see with like a Mike Leach air raid. And uh, it was just so unique, kind of like the more and more you get look, look into it, like, there's no offense like this really, I, really in football. And, uh, and when why, you kind of, why, what, what exactly do they do that, that was so different besides going fast? Uh, than the, the spacing, else. nobody spaces their receivers like this. Um, they're out there on the sidelines. Like a lot of times the slot would be past the number. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and then we factor in that kind of with their like the the unique run elements where where they would they would run a lot of like power veer. Uh, the offensive line was was these huge offensive linemen. It was almost kind of like more of a of a smash mouth mindset. But then they had uh, probably like you know the, like towards the end at Baylor they had the fastest re- receiver group in the country. So when you they were just running these guys downfield in a very like rudimentary, like rudimentary, uh, route tree where it was kind of just option routes, get open, find grass. And just with how, like, I haven't seen, I've never seen a college offense this aggressive throwing the ball downfield. Like they were just taking shots. Like we talked about this recently where it was like, you know, they were, they don't really, they didn't really care about down and distance. Like it was just, we're just going to go for the jugular. We're going to try to score a touchdown every play. And, and I guess you can, a lot of people will say that and it'll be lip service, but like they actually practice that uh, philosophically. And when you, when you look at like their offense, like it was, I think you could argue their, their 2015 offense was one of the best in, in college football history. Like if you just look at the numbers, like if you combine it, they, it was over multiple quarterbacks. So it didn't really matter who they plugged in. Like, I think, um, they, they started three, three or four quarterbacks th- that year. It was the year they had Seth Russell and he got knocked out and they had Jared Stidham as a true freshman. And then, uh, in their bowl game, which is really like, if, if you want to, if you want to see just a crazy tactical, uh, you know, offensive coaching performance, I'd love to YouTube, YouTube, the Baylor UNC, I think it was the champ sports bowl. Baylor broke the all time bull rushing record i think they ran for like 600 yards on unc this is a unc team i think that it was the year that they almost beat clemson in the acc championship game um and they came out and basically they, they ran a single wing direct snap offense with maybe like seven or eight guys taking snaps like it was like i i've never seen something like that uh in high level football before so yeah it's just and, and also too to add to it like the offense is it's pretty like secretive like it, it, it's, it's, it's the, the fact that it's just not out there. Like there's not a whole lot of like coaching clinic talks where, every, you know, high schools are, are running this. Like it's very, like they've really kind of like kept this, you know, under wraps. So that kind of made it even more intriguing. Um, you know, and, and then I guess just following with, with, with the fallout from like the scandal at Baylor, it kind of became this like forgotten thing so it kind of made me even more interested in it because seeing a guy seeing kindle browse go to fau and they immediately turn it around it's kind of like this market inefficiency that you have this you know top offensive coordinator in the group of five 
that, that kind of made it more interesting to me just to see how it would work as a test case. Did you watch FSU last year? Uh, yeah, uh, so, I would say, well, well no, no, yeah. no, no. I just want to know if you did. Yeah. yeah. What I'm going to ask you next. Um, so having watched FSU last year, uh, Charles, I can tell you that the staff did barely anything to combat the, uh, problem on O line this year. They, they brought in a transfer from Northern Illinois. that's going to compete for one of the tackle jobs, but mm-hmm. outside of that, they didn't do much. So right. my question to you is, how is this Bryles offense, this Baylor offense, whatever you want to call it, going to translate in 2019 at FSU? Like this coming season, how much of the success that they had at Baylor can we expect to see at FSU? And what are some of the things that they're going to have to do maybe differently to see that same success? Yeah, I would I would say given given the talent, it would be it would be unrealistic to expect what you would you know, a a Baylor type of explosion. Um, but I would say a good, a good comparison, a good point comparison would be what they did at Houston last year. And, and I wouldn't even really necessarily expect that Houston, that they had one of the top offenses in the country. I think they scored, they were the only team in the country to maybe score over like 45 points, um, in every game or, or something like that. But, um, you know, one thing that 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 Kendall Browse has shown is that he can he can adjust to to the talent he has. Now, the offensive mm-hmm. line, the offensive line would be the biggest barrier, and I I think having Randy Clements on the staff is like that's can't, like that can't be like overstated how important that is. Um, uh, I would say like they do enough stuff with their their quick passing game, and the a lot of it's RPO driven. So while it, it what they present to the defense can look confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like it, it, it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be really tough for them to teach. And that's kind of the beauty of their offense is like, you know, I, I, I've heard players that have, you know, played under Bryles, they install it and their reaction is like, that's it. But it's just, <laughs> it, it's just the reps and, and, and kind of mastering it and, and kind of getting in a flow and getting in, in sync. But, uh, you know, I would say just from from watching the games with with, with Bryles coaching and Clements, just on appearance, the offensive line stuff appears to be the most exotic. But I, I don't think it's super tough for them to teach because a lot of it's like, um, you know, gap protection and they're pulling guys in in multiple gaps. They're pulling the tackle, but I kind of almost think it that that makes it easier. Um, that that they probably aren't gonna try to put um, if they have a you know. A, a, a glaring mismatch with their offensive line. They probably like, I think they're smart enough to not sit there and, and just have, you know, um, a, an overmatched offensive lineman trying to block, uh, you know, a, a really, a really good defensive lineman one-on-one. Like they'll, they'll do stuff to try to maybe confuse or, or offset. But uh, I mean, I, I like the fit with, with FSU skill talent though. Like I think, I think yeah, tell me about tell me about Cam Akers and Tamori and Terry. I know you're gonna yeah, hit on yeah. Terry, but I really want to know about Cam Akers because we all loved him, including you coming out of high school in Mississippi. Yeah, um, yeah. You fully agreed with his ranking as the number one back in the country. Um, are you excited to see him in this offense, or or do you think this is gonna frustrate him further? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I don't see how it it would could get much like worse for acres. Like I, I don't, I don't think like the, the offensive line, um, I, I, I think they'll definitely be improved. So I, I think you'll be in a better situation. Um, I, I think the, the tempo and maintaining drives would help. Um, I, I think that they can be creative in getting it to him in, in multiple ways. Like that's one thing, like, like Bryles, uh, they, they've definitely shown that they, they will get the ball there, uh, to the, to their best players. Um, it's kind of what they did at, at, at Baylor with Corey Coleman. And, mm-hmm. and when they had really good running backs, like they would, they would just feed them the rock. So, and I, I think maybe getting acres involved in the passing game too. Um, and, and, and then, and then maybe also like they've shown that they can kind of come up with some unique direct snap stuff. Like when, uh, like at, at Houston, his quarterback was dear King, who was like a really good athlete who actually played like receiver. Um, and it was actually, I think he was Houston's, returning leading returning receiver rusher and passer last year so he was a guy who kind of was like a jack of all trades type of player and we knew acres was a great high school quarterback so that'll be interesting to kind of see if they put any wrinkles with that um 
and they can kind of get creative with like their jet sweep stuff also uh with with terry yeah, yeah. I, I think i think terry's a great fit for this offense because like if, if you kind of go back and look at where terry's excelled uh, or excelled last year it was really like just on on those you know nine route deep balls and and that's like really what this offense is about like just taking the top off and you know he's fast he can separate he can track downfield um so yeah i i would say like if you're like if you're in like a college like fantasy football thing like yeah terry would be a guy that that i think you could probably like you know uh buy low on and and, and sell high like i he's i think he's gonna have a huge year like i would yeah I, would, I, I think so too i mean last year we saw him in a role where like whenever fsu needed to be bailed out of a situation it was terry time and mm. it, and and you know if it was third and seven here comes tamari and terry for a 45 yard touchdown like and it made you wonder, like, why can't we find the ball any other time besides when we just throw it up? But I guess in this offense, that's what we're going to see more of. But you think we're going to see it more often? Yeah. And and I, I think it'll be easy. I, th- I think you'll see it more often because because defenses are going to have to really kind of declare what they're doing. Like you can't really it's hard to like window dress this w- when you're defending this 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 offense because of 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 the spacing like you're you're either going to have if you have two if if you're double covering terry they're going to have favorable numbers in the box and they're going to run it or they'll or they'll they'll go go to the other side so i i think you'll 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 know when you can go to him more often um and and I, i think too like wasn't it with james blackman wasn't didn't terry have a big game in that nc state game where where blackman came in so like I, I think that'll be interesting too. Like they seem to have like a pretty good chemistry. I'm sure they're probably working on that, um, you know, in the off season. But yeah, like yeah, he's, Blackman was definitely more uh, comfortable taking shots downfield, throwing it deep to Terry outside of just you know a bailout play. So yeah, um, for whatever reason, it just didn't seem like Francois wanted to let it rip like that outside of you know a third and seven when he just threw it up there. Um, right. Tell me about DJ Matthews. Uh, you know, he's entering his third year at Florida State, high four-star guy out of Jacksonville. We all had high hopes for, uh, even when Willie Taggart arrived, you know, lethal simplicity was all about getting the ball in the hands of the playmakers, letting them go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about slot wide receiver usage within this offense. Yeah, so uh, Towards the end at Baylor, they would use the slot as a guy that would really just run up the seam. Like they had mm-hmm. KD Cannon, and he was like you know, super fast, like a four three, uh, you know, kind of a ten four one hundred guy coming out of high school. Um, but I, I would say with with, with Matthews, I, I don't think Matthews has that kind of speed. But but I would say with Matthews, I I would look for a lot of like RPO stuff. Um, and, and and they've shown that they can be they can be pretty versatile with that, but. But I would say, you know, kind of with his route running and and whatnot, I, I would look for for a lot of the you know the quick underneath RPO slants um, st- stuff like that. But it'll be interesting to see. Like I'm 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 kind of interested myself to see if, if they try to put some speed in the slot and and run guys up up the seam kind of like they did at Baylor because I I think he probably has a little more a little more speed um, in in the receiver group at FS at FSU than he did at Houston. But uh, but that'll be interesting, too, because I, I know FSU's had a bunch of like kind of like bigger outside receivers uh, recently, but yeah. they still probably have a little more speed, too. So, yeah, uh, some coaches I talk to behind the scenes, you know, tell me, hey, the league's caught up. You know, this isn't the, the Baylor offense of 2013, 2014. They've they've made adjustments. Um, but as a Baylor offense fanboy, uh, do you agree with with the thought that the league is caught up or do you think that this is a an offense that can win a championship someday. I mean, I, I don't know why people would say the league's like, like what, what's the basis for saying that? Well, I, I guess that, that, that they like, defended oh, well, Syracuse. This, off- this offense has never won a national championship. You know, it's great to win, to win regular season games, but what's it done? What's yeah. it done at the highest level? So yeah. just my, my counter to that would be, they were at, they were at Baylor and like, look at, like look at Baylor before and look at Baylor after, I guess the first year, like how many games did Matt rule win? his first year when he took, it was like two, two. Yeah. So, um, I, I think just because it hasn't won a national, hasn't won a national championship. Like, I, I don't think you can say like, I mean, you could say the same thing for like, you know, the, the air raid. And then you look at Oklahoma, like then Oklahoma adopts it and they're in the playoff every year. So 
and you know, I like everybody, I, everybody kind of is running variations of this stuff, but nobody, I don't think anybody teaches it better. Um, than the guys who are kind of at the ground floor and like kind of creating the offense that goes for any, really any offense. But, you know, you look at like, you know, like the area with leech or guys who played in it. And then you look at this offense with, with, with Bryles and it's, they, they've obviously kind of protected it. Like, I guess you can maybe argue like, you know, Syracuse does something similar, but it's not really, I mean, it, they have a little more West coast concepts in there. Um, and, and, and Babers was, was at Baylor kind of before it really like really took off. Um, I mean, I would, I would, I would disagree with that. I would say, I would say, just look at what they look at what Kendall Bros has done the, the last two years. I, I think, you know, in, in terms of like statistically, and if you look at improvement in yards per game, points per game, yards per play, he's shown to kind of be the most, the most valuable or most impactful offensive coordinator. So, I, I mean, I, yeah, but I mean, in terms of winning a championship, like they're obviously going to have to improve on in the trenches. Like I think it would be, it would be a, a tough task to to think that you're going to go and like block Clemson's front and and beat them head up with this, you know. But but I, I think that that's personnel. But I don't think it really. I think the scheme is is only going to help. There you have it, folks. The league has not caught up to the Baylor offense. It's still a championship winning style. Um, yeah, Charles, uh, thanks for coming on. If you want to follow Charles on Twitter, it's at Charles power. Uh, there's no S it's just Charles power. Um, he's somewhat of a national recruiting analyst. He's somewhat of an intern to Barton Simmons. (laughs) Uh, Charles, what do you think of FSU's recruiting at the quarterback position so far under Willie Taggart? Well, you I mean, don't have to answer that because they haven't signed any quarterbacks yet. So yeah. there really hasn't been any recruiting. <laughs> but are you surprised by that? Are you surprised FSU hasn't signed a quarterback in two cycles? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say anybody would probably be, I guess, surprised by that. I mean, it's it's the most important position. You, you obviously want to want to stack it. I, I guess, you know, they've they've kind of patched it a little bit with uh, transfers. But, yeah, I mean, you want to be bringing in high school uh high school quarterback prospects. I, I think, can you patch it with transfers? I mean, well, you've seen, you know, they brought in, um, a couple guys, a couple, three I, horny, Brooke, yeah, Jordan you, Travis. And you can't, if they're good, you can't, are if they're those good, guys, but, are those guys worthy of starting at a program like Florida state or, or I shouldn't say worthy. Of course they're worthy, but are they physically and do they have the ability to start at Florida state is what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, I, I haven't really seen enough for Travis to say Hornybrook. I would say probably not. I would imagine he would be kind of a backup, you know, break, break glass in case of emergency type of guy. Um, but, uh, I haven't seen enough from Travis. I mean, I just, just kind of from, from following, uh, y'all site, it, it seems like he definitely improved in, in, in the spring, but yeah, I mean, like ideally you would, you would want to at, at a school like Florida state, you would want to bring in, blue chippers at quarterback and, and stack them up. And I think that's kind of like, you know, in, indicative of quarterback recruiting in 2019. I, I think the smartest way to do it is, is you just got to sign as, as many good ones as you can. And that ensures your, uh, li- the likelihood that you have a top quarterback. Um, and I've been preaching that Charles, 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 I've been preaching that. I've been it's trying just, to tell it's people, just, it's just numbers just and averages. Them, right. And there's, and even the, even the coaches that do have great quarterbacks, they stack them. I mean, people think that, um, you know, certain coaches don't miss, but they ignore all the guys that left, you know, like you got to let it weed out and you, you don't really want to put all your eggs in one basket and, and think that this guy's going to hit because as you and I know, even in our own experiences, guys that we've watched come up that we think are certainly going to hit, they don't. And it, and it happens and it, and it happens year after year. Uh, so you got to take more, in order for Florida State to get back, um, do you think they can build something around Jeff Sims? Is he the is he the type? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I think one of the definitely one of the beneficial things with Kendall Bryles, mm-hmm. you know, as long as he's at, as long as he's at FSU, is they have won with a wide variety of quarterbacks. Like if you look if you look at Baylor. They had like you could not have two different quarterbacks physically than RG three and Nick Florence. Like yeah, Nick, that's good Nick, to know. Yeah, that is Nick, true. Nick Florence, you could probably mistake for like 
one of the trainers on the sideline and RG three is a world-class athlete. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and, and then when he was at Houston, uh, Derek King is like kind of a five, eight, five, nine athlete, you know, uh, Jason Driscoll at, at FAU. So, so yeah, I, I, I think they definitely could, you know, have a, have a, have a top offense with, with a guy like Jeff Sims, but, um, you know, you, like, like, like you were saying, like you, you definitely increase your chances, um, by, by signing as many ones as possible. And I, I guess if you wanted to kind of get into discussion, like, should they sign a second one? Um, I do. I'm adamant yeah. that they should sign a second one. So yeah, give me would, a, give, right now they're really not, they haven't zeroed in on anybody yet. Um, they were keeping Malik Hornsby. I'll say, I'll say warm, you know, their hat was in the ring, but they weren't pressing for him. So at this point with Malik Hornsby, the news is he just committed to UNC with him off the board. Um, give me just a couple guys that intrigue you that you think would be a good fit for FSU to pick up as a second quarterback. Okay. So, uh, I mean, the obvious name would be like Haynes King, who's the top uncommitted quarterback in the country uh, from 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 Texas. I think he'd be a great fit in their offense. I really think he's pro. I, I think he would be a great fit in almost any offense, just given how scheme versatile he is. He might be the most scheme versatile quarterback uh, in the cycle. Uh, he plays under center at high school in his, at his high school, um, but he is maybe he might be the best athlete of any quarterback in this class. Like he, you know, runs a four five. Uh, He's got huge hands. He's like a three, four sport athlete. Um, and, and like statistically has the best production profile of any quarterback in this cycle too. So like a lot, like on paper, a lot, like you, like it's hard to not love Haynes King. So that's kind of a no brainer, I guess. Um, a couple more, I like, uh, like Chubba Purdy, who is Brock Purdy's brother. Brock Purdy's the quarterback, uh, at Iowa State, who had like a, a really, really good freshman year. He was probably like kind of a freshman All-American. Brock Purdy, actually, fun fact, Brock Purdy had a higher uh, quarterback rating, like a fish, passer efficiency than Trevor Lawrence last year as freshman. So uh, fun fact. Yeah. Uh, but 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 Chubba Purdy is uh, is Brock Purdy's younger brother. He's from Arizona. Uh, I, I think he he's a really like, good deep ball passer, really mobile, ran for like a thousand yards as, as a junior. So I, I think he'd be like a, a really nice fit in, in Browse offense. Cause one thing you look for with Browse off like the, the Browse offense is uh, you want to have at least some level of mobility to present a run threat. You don't have to be RG three necessarily, but you want to have a, a level of mobility so that you can kind of run like zone read and veer stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you also want to be able to like, ideally you want to be able to throw the ball downfield. So Chubba Purdy definitely does that. Um, one guy I like a lot who who I think he only has like maybe one power five offer, but I know I, I've heard some feedback from schools that kind of had him as like maybe like a plan B if, if they didn't get like a true national guy. And I really like I, he could maybe be a four star and he's actually from my neck of the woods. Uh, Mason Garcia from he's from Carolina Forest High School um, okay. in, in South Carolina. He uh, I think his crystal ball is like on ECU right now, but I, I know Missouri offered him and interesting like. Like Missouri kind of runs a uh, offshoot of the Bryles offense because Josh Heupel kind of put that in, and Derek Dooley, I guess, is kind of continuing that a little bit because, like, they actually kind of run like offshoot of this at, at, at UCF with with Jeff Levy being like the quarterback coach there. Um, but uh, Garcia is like he's a really good athlete. He's got a huge arm. He's six four, uh, and and is is a guy who who has like a lo- whole lot of physical tools. Uh, yeah, really six good. four, two oh five. I'm looking at his profile now. He's got yeah, you're right. So he's got Missouri with is probably his biggest offer right now. He's got eleven total, but you're looking at like ECU, Akron, App State, Bowling Green, a couple others like that. But yeah, um, six four, two oh five. We got him as a pro style, but you're telling me he can move a little bit. Yeah, I, I was I was considering uh, maybe making him a dual, but but yeah, he's you know I guess the the whole dual pro style thing is very is it time gray. for us to get rid of that oh it's 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 past time to get rid of it <laughs> i've been i've been, I've been saying knock on barton's office door and tell him like let's I just would, knock that out i've been like he he agrees i i think it's just a, a matter of of i guess just kind of sitting down with the 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 big time decision makers and then getting the tech tech team to do it but we he, he agrees like i it's it's way past time to, to mm-hmm. get rid of that um but uh yeah, I mean, we were talking about it. Uh, you know, Jordan Smith for, from uh, Lake City, uh, Columbia, is one that I liked a good bit. He kind of came on my radar 
uh, I, I think they had like a preseason game against uh, against IMG where he lit up IMG. Um, you know, a, a lefty who can kind of do some improvisational stuff. Not like a huge kid, but but a, a really good high school player. Um, there was a group of five guy that that committed recently that I think is probably going to be the best group of five signee. Now he has like, I think he'd be a tough flip. Uh, but uh, Evan Prater, who committed to to Cincinnati, uh, he's a hometown kid from Cincinnati, and his brother. They're taking his brother, who was a walk on at Ohio State. I think he's going on scholarship at Cincinnati, but he's one that like would would be. Uh, I, I think, I think definitely probably is like, I guess like, you know, kind of, uh, better than where he's committed, I guess, if you want to say, right. Um, but he is, I'm looking at his profile, he's six, five, one ninety. Um, yeah. but he's, his, he's from Cincinnati, Ohio right. as well. Yeah, is that yeah. why you're saying it, it might yeah. not be the easiest foot? Yeah. But he's like, I mean, he's a great, great athlete. Um, and, and, you know, high school, high school, uh, state champion. I mean, let me tell you the flip that I want. Florida state to, to make, and maybe I'm wrong on this and I need to shut up, but on the message boards, I've been kind of beating the drum of Tucker Gleason. Um, he's currently committed to Georgia tech. He's out of Tampa plant in state kid that FSU has not offered yet. But what do you think of Tucker Gleason? And am I right in thinking that he'd be a good flip for FSU as a second QB or, or can they do better? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I would, you, you could maybe try to do better. Like I, I like I haven't seen as much of of Gleason as as you have I guess being mm-hmm. being a Tampa kid. Uh I mean I think he's a good athlete. Uh I would definitely he would definitely be one that I would that I would keep warm. Like yeah, I think if FS like if I'm FSU, I'm I'm coming at this with a very open mind in that I think you are looking at any top quarterback uh, like for instance, like a, like a Bryce young, if, if USC starts to falter, and like Charles, like, just don't like, think that's the mentality of this staff. I don't, I, I, I agree with you, but I just don't think that they're trying to recruit over the top of Jeffson's. I know it's not a championship mentality, but like, I just don't think they're going to do well, that. Even so, I even think that's one of the reasons why they didn't go on Malik Hornsby all the way. I think that they just had their, you know, a toe in the water because they didn't want to ruffle Jeff Sims feathers. Yeah. But I, I, I guess your pitch to your pitch to Sims could maybe be like, you know, you're, you're more progressed as a passer than Malik Hornsby, you know, like I, I, I think that that argument would maybe have some merit. Cause I, I've watched a ton of Hornsby's games. Like he definitely needs, mm-hmm. he definitely needs work. Um, right. but yeah, but I, I mean, mean Bryce Young, when, like you, I understand what you're saying. Bryce young, uh, five-star quarterback currently committed to USC. Yeah. Um, if USC falters, they go through a, a change at the top. Yeah, he's there. Um, Everybody in the country just, will probably be doing that too. But yeah, but like I, I think like during during the fall, and this is like we saw this last year, and and you see this with with multiple positions, not just quarterback, but a second season of recruiting. Yeah, but like given with with, with the with the early signing period, is it's like really paramount that you are on your stuff and monitoring these guys' senior seasons in real time because like for instance there was a there was a quarterback who I thought was maybe the best group of five quarterback signing last year arguably um who who signed with who signed with Toledo and and like if you're FSU and you miss out on Sam Howell like you would want to have that kind of lined up but he signed early Mm -hmm. so I think like I, I think there there are very good quarterbacks to be found that might not be in the radar if, if you track their senior year and just and, and go after guys who, who kind of blow up. But you have to be ready to act on that, like within like a two or three week span, kind of late November, right. December. You might not so, have the opportunity to say, oh, well, let's go in home and meet his parents first. Yeah. Do this. It might. Yeah. I, I, Cause, I mean, that is why they get paid the big bucks. Because <laughs> decisions. Yeah, because like when things like you, there's no guarantee that there's going to be much left when things roll around in in January. And when, and if there are, everybody's gonna be fighting for the same guys. Like you remember, like like James Foster a couple cycles ago, mm-hmm. where he had you know ten, fifteen Power Five offers because he was one of the only quarterbacks left. Like Brock Purdy, Chuba Purdy's brother was like that. Um, but but you, I don't think that's something you necessarily would want to like that. Would that wouldn't yeah. be my plan? So right. Well. We'll see. Um, did you have fun in New Orleans? Yeah, had a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Did I did I wake you up to do this interview at 1 p.m. or you? No, it's it's funny. It's funny. I'm actually on a I'm actually on a on more a more normal sleep schedule after after New Orleans because I was on y'all schedule. So we I, used to make fun of Charles all the time. Um, we used to make fun of Charles like back when he started when he was like 22, 23 years old, because Tim Watts, who runs the Bama online site, would try to get a hold of Charles. But Charles sleeps till 1 p.m. every single day. <laughs> And that was just young Charles Power. Oh, he's just, you know, whatever. Well, fast forward, Charles is now 32 years old and still 31, 31, still sleeps until 1 p.m. I mean, that's a great gig if you can get it. Uh, But I'm on the opposite end of it. Like I I wake up at 530 in the morning. What time do you go to bed? I mean, usually, I don't know, like after like four, I guess. I don't know. so you're going to bed like 45 minutes before I'm waking up and starting my day, which is phenomenal. But you, I mean, that's why you're an evaluator. Like the, I feel like the hours between midnight and 4 a.m. are prime huddle, huddle yeah. YouTube watching hours, I, right? I'm, I'm watching nothing but, I'm watching nothing but, but, uh, anti-vaping ads, uh, <laughs> after midnight. <laughs> yeah. For people that don't watch huddle, that's, uh, you get a lot of that. Um, I feel, yeah, I, I feel like as, as someone who's never, who's never vaped, like that's just like some divine, just like punishment that I'm, I'm just subjected to watching all of these, all of these ads that are targeted towards teens. It's great. Little do they know that most people watching huddle is not high school fan or high school kids or players. It's mostly you and college coaches. Yeah. And they all have, they all have like all the high school players have logins. So I'm assuming they aren't watching the ads or whatever. So. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, I'm on like what I guess you would call, probably call like a, like a hacker, a hacker schedule. So yeah, it was interesting to talk to you in, in new Orleans and, and get your coffee regimen too. What are we on today? I'm on a, I'm on a French press. I actually was going to walk and get some before, but I didn't have, I figured I probably needed to like prep for this a little bit. So I'm going to go get some after this. Yeah, I walked and got one. So I'm kind of on this new wave. Uh, I, I feel like you got to switch up your caffeine intake all the time. So because it, it'll, you know, once you get into one, it stops working. So right now I'm on iced Americanos because it's too hot here to drink hot. Um, but I like the iced Americano. I think it, I, I think I like it better than like a cold brew or or just a coffee. I, like I don't the know. Dude, when I go to a coffee shop and they say Americano, like like my heart just sinks. Like it's just like. It's basically like that's code for like we we just ran out of drip coffee and I get that a lot because I'm tr- I, I'm usually ordering coffee like when they aren't making it anymore so they just like oh like we can make you an americano it's just but like, I feel like it's strong. such a bummer I can feel like it's I feel like it's stronger than regular coffee especially if you're going somewhere that has really good espresso and you just get like maybe even double it up so you do a double americano that's just like drinking a coffee whether it's hot or cold um, yeah, that's probably true. And I feel like it's stronger and maybe not as like acidic is bitter. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. I mean, I, I guess the main the main factor in that with that would be if they actually had good espresso. I started drinking like I started drinking tea. There's like this really good like I guess they call it like an apothecary here in Nashville. Tell and me more. Yeah, it's like this like herbal tea. So I got so I got three kinds. And the problem is like you, you, you make it in like these 20 ounce uh you make it in these 20 ounce, uh, portions mm-hmm. and I usually, I, I have an electric kettle, so I just pop the tea bag in the electric kettle and, and let it steep. But the problem is, is like, I like really suck at labeling them. So <laughs> I have, I have three different kinds. I have like, it's called like warrior. It's like a pre-workout I have in when I like, these are very, very potent. I have one that is a sleep one. And then I have one that's like non-caffeinated. It's supposed to be like a third eye opener. So, okay. so like a shock. Which one do you like? Which like one chakra do you like? blend or whatever. So I one night, as as disjointed as my sleep schedule is, one night I accidentally drank the pre-workout instead of the sleep one. So imagine <laughs> imagine how that went. <laughs> What's your like? I'm I'm sipping on this iced americano now. It's we're taping this. It's two. It's two o'clock. Um. This will be it for me. I can't drink coffee anymore. But you're saying to four. So what's like the latest coffee intake that you you can handle? Uh, I can I can drink like a cup after dinner. Like if I eat dinner at like like nine ish, I can drink I can drink one after that and just sip on it. Well, you're still like eight hours from bedtime, so that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I obviously don't try to drink. I'm also too like apparently I did like a like a genetic test. I'm like a uh, I have a like my DNA says I'm a high caffeine metabolizer, mm-hmm. so I guess it doesn't have as much of an effect on me. I think really. I am too, but I think that's a that, that's probably not in my DNA. I think it's just uh, built up over time. Yeah, probably. Like my, my my caffeine tolerance is probably stupid. Like I mean just given how much coffee I drink, which I guess, I guess we're, we're probably like in a good, in a good line of work to just be chugging, just be mainlining coffee. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I do about two rounds a day, sometimes yeah. more, but just depends what, what kind of day I'm having. And I just like, I just like it fresh. Like I just like to have something to sip on. Like I'm not going to like, I'm, I'm not going to like chug a whole thing. Like I just, I like to have it like, you know, just sitting there to switch it up. So yeah, that, I used to just funnel it into my mouth. And, and try not to taste it. And then over the last 12, you know, I didn't drink coffee in college. I didn't drink I, coffee until after college, which is yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. Strange. Oh, you didn't either. No. Okay. When did you start drinking coffee? When, when I started, when I started working, when I started working with Tim Watts, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish everybody knew about Tim Watts, but we'll save that for another podcast. All right, Charles power. Thanks for coming on, on the bench podcast with me. Um, we'll have you on later. Uh, hopefully the, this new Baylor offense is, is, is as exciting as you tell me, and we can start calling it the FSU offense. I mean, yeah, maybe they'll rebrand be, it, you know, that'd be nice. I think yeah. it needs a rebrand at this point. Yeah, they probably, they really, they, they actually never gave it a name. Like, I guess like some people, like there were some like bloggers who started calling it like the veer and shoot, but like, yeah, they never gave it a name. So like, I guess if you want to go like air raid or like fun and gun, like it would be kind of cool. Like from a branding standpoint, I guess if they, if they ball out at, at Florida state this year, maybe they can like give it a name and use the that Tomahawk um, offense. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. All right, Charles, man, we appreciate you. Uh, have a great day. All right. Sounds good. See ya. All right, man. That was, that was awesome. Nicely done, Josh. I like it. I like it. Charles is fun. Um, I could have done without the coffee talk at the end of the day because it made me want coffee as we record this at 2 p.m. And I, I definitely can't do you it. You can't do coffee. Yeah. No, no just, I mean, I'm already wired and anxious all the time anyways. So like any kind of infusion into that, this is almost drinking time for me on a Friday afternoon. It may already be. I admit nothing. Yeah, no, but I knew I wanted to get Charles on once we started doing this because behind the scenes when, when Bryles was hired, Charles was texting me and just saying how, uh, how excited he was that, you know, he was there and going to have an opportunity to work with some of the athletes that Florida state has. So dude, he um, was ready to fight you when you, when you <laughs> threw out that some people in the industry think that people are catching on to the Baylor offense. I was just, I just wanted to be a contrarian and actually I, I <laughs> Does actually, anyone think I, that? Oh yeah. I've talked to coaches behind the scenes for sure. Like when Bryles was being hired that you were telling me, but you got to understand there's a lot of hating that goes on behind the scenes. So I was actually the one, it was like the other way around. I was the one saying like, I was like, are you crazy? I've never even heard this before, but I did have, you know, two or three coaches when we were talking through the discussion about the FSU higher Bryles tell me like, Hey, I don't know if it's going to work. I think the league's caught up to it and, you know, through recruiting and and the way that defenses are called. But we had Wally Burnham on last week on the show. And he even said how this is just a numbers game. And then it comes to matchups. And if you're a program like Florida state, like Charles was saying, they did what they did at Baylor with, with different athletes than you're going to have at Florida State. So they got an opportunity here. Yeah, and uh, and one thing that that struck me as funny during the during the interview when you guys were talking about like a name for the Baylor offense because that is what we call it, and it hasn't been the Baylor offense for a few years now after everything that happened there. Uh, you do remember that Willie Taggart does have a name for the offense that he brought to Florida State, right? Can we just – I don't think we can transfer it. Can we transfer it? I, that's, I don't know. I think that's a good question. Like if they're good this year, they're calling it lethal simplicity again because some of it is rooted, not a lot, but like there's there's parts of what Willie Taggart wanted. Oh, for sure. That's comparable, but like like lethal simplicity, like the redo or something like that. <laughs> 2.0. The remix. <laughs> and they're gonna, as long as they average more than 2.0 yards per carry this year, it'll be fine. Be moving in the yeah. right direction. Uh, no, that was good. That was enjoyable. Remember, we're going to keep doing more stuff like this, guys. So please keep supporting us like you're doing. This is the part in the podcast where I beg for uh, subscriptions and five-star reviews. We're actually moving on up on the five-star reviews. We're almost a five-star podcast, which is pretty cool. But uh, I think I think next we're going to have Larry Bluestein on, a uh, very oh, well-respected awesome. writer from um, recruiting analyst and writer from South Florida. 
he's like the godfather of, of recruiting coverage, at least in South Florida, which is kind of a big deal because, you know, South Florida. Yeah, yeah Larry Legend. Um, I've known Larry since 2005, and he's been on the big three roll-up several times and always gets a great response. He just knows everything. So going to have him come on and discuss FSU's efforts in South Florida, some of the talent that's down there and all that. And then I think the next one I got lined up is probably going to be Lamar Thomas. So that's going to be a little, a little bit different. Everybody knows Lamar Thomas as a former Kane great. Um, I've gotten to know Lamar over the years, uh, as he's coached at several different spots. I want to talk to him about recruiting, um, about the game of recruiting and all that, but also, um, people forget that Lamar coached with one year, I coached with Willie Taggart for one year. And that was at Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So he's got some insight into the way things work under under Coach Taggart and all that. So, um, yeah, want to have him on as well. So those are k- kind of what we can look forward to over the next couple weeks. All right, cool. So, guys, keep keep checking us out. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so because this will drop into your phone as soon as the episode is posted. Uh, Josh, nice job as always. And, again, we're going to keep doing this uh, throughout the summer and maybe see if it sticks in the fall. So thanks for your time. Everyone, thanks for listening. Stick in the landing.